What up, Anchor? What up, Anchor FM? What up, Spotify? What up, world? What up, the whole entire world? And happy, happy New Year's. Even though it's the exact same cycle. Because the year and the time and the days and weeks and months months it's nothing but a big capital letter called time so meaning that people still do this whole tradition of celebrating holidays and days just to have something to do but excuse uh, my language you're doing the exact same shit so uh, today and it's uh, basically, uh, what is it, uh, Wednesday, I believe. And uh, today is um, um, the second Wednesday, 2020, January. And the time is 1.12 a.m. And what I will be discussing uh, a particular interesting religion. It's a religion, you know, uh, it's called Voodoo. Voodoo. Today is early, early morning. It's categorized as evening. It's morning, but it's early morning. But anyways. So, Voodoo is the topic. Voodoo is the discussion. You will have on this particular Anchor FM uh, Sports, the first take, ESPN, the, uh, they talk about college, NBA, and NFL. Uh, ESPN also talks about, um, a lot of them talk about um, UFC, and a particular guy uh, talks about the, update, the updates of games. If you're a gamer out there, you know, I think his name is... Uh, uh, DQ8000, something like that. Look him up on YouTube. Also, YouTube, uh, particular people on YouTube will discuss the 2020 um, movie updates. And also discuss, uh, I will have discussed the reaction of a particular general. Um, well, I'm not going to talk about They're going to talk about it, how they just broadcast about Donald Trump's speech and uh, basically man's struggling with powership to uh, gain control also about politics and government CNN news about that then at the end of the, um, the Anchor FM I'm going to discuss my outlook of voodoo 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 here today on Anchor FM Draywise 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 Counter. Very, very confident that the Dallas Cowboys are going to turn it around. And here's a simple reason as to why that's the case, Coach Rex Bryan. You ain't got anywhere to go but up. I mean, how far can you go? I mean, that's the reality of the situation. I mean, this is a team that people will bloviate about my Damian Woody, the Marcus Smith. Oh, I'm sorry, Swag Goo. And others were talking about we're going to compete for a Super Bowl title. And lo and behold, the players are going to begin next week. And they'll be at home watching it with the rest of us. Why? Because Ezekiel Elliott wasn't what he was supposed to be. Dak Prescott put up good numbers, but he wasn't what he was supposed to be. The defense wasn't what they were supposed to be. And the coaching staff was everything we suspected they would be. We 
was mediocre at best. And of course, you got the GM and the owner that won't get rid of the head coach because he loves the head coach like a son. Whereas even though Freddie Kitchens has been fired and now Pat Sherman has been fired, Jerry Jones is still holding out hope. For all we know, that old Jerry Jones, my buddy, by the way, might end up sitting up there and saying, you know what? I saw enough from that Redskins victory yesterday. Maybe I need to give Jason Garrett another chance. I doubt that will happen, but anything's possible. Because when you're a dysfunctional operation, you know what? And you're led by emotion, and obviously that supersedes results and productivity. And you got a guy like Jason Garrett standing on that podium post-game yesterday after an 8-8 eight and eight season with a Super Bowl-talented roster. That's what he had available to him. This man actually sat up there with a straight face and said, I want to be the coach of the Cowboys. I deserve to be the coach of the Cowboys. This is what we're talking about here. That's the problem. And that's why I say optimism is the rule of the day. Because even though there's a bevy of evidence out there that says otherwise, the bottom line is this. When you're in the basement, there's nowhere to go but up. You know, I mean, that, that's the cellar right there. There's the living room, there's the, there's the upstairs bedroom, there's an attic. We know they ain't going to reach the attic, but at least they can leave to reach the living room. And that's what we're talking about here, fellas, and it's really that simple. First of all, folks, don't let Stephen A. fool you. He is not happy this morning about that cow, Cowboys loss. Stephen A., I know you too well. You are not happy that they go, got bumped out of the playoffs. You wanted them to make the playoffs, maybe even win a game, so that the Cowboys fans' hopes could get as high as possible before the inevitable crash. But Christmas Christmas was ruined, though. I did plan on that. That's consolation. And now the New Year is ruined, too. I mean, New Year's Eve, they don't have a good Christmas. They didn't have a good Thanksgiving. Now they ain't going to have a good New Year's Eve. That kind of makes me feel good, those Cowboy fans. And the rest of us can be happy about that. We can lick the tears off their face. I'd like to. I love it. When the Patriots fans and Cowboys fans are miserable, I'm happy. But the point is this. I have little optimism that they can turn it around. And the most telling thing for me, look, going into this season, you don't keep Jason Garrett. Who didn't know that? Only Jerry Jones didn't know that. Everyone else knew you had to get rid of Jason Garrett. So this season was an experiment. Is it Dak or Garrett? They still don't know if Dak is the guy. But now they're going to get rid of Dak, uh, of Garrett. So what'd you keep them around for to conduct that experiment in the first place? Here's the telling thing for me that tells me they're not going to turn it around. Jerry Jones' response to Troy Aikman's criticism is that, hey, if Aikman bought a team, bought the Cowboys, he'd do the same thing. In other words, when you're a football fan and used to play the game, as Jerry Jones did at a certain level, and you get a football team, the Dallas freaking Cowboys, that's a shiny new toy. You want to play with it. And he's not done yet. I have kids that get a new toy that want to keep playing. It's time for bed. Not yet. That's what he's doing. He's not done playing GM yet. And, and, and the comments to Aikman are telling. And until he realizes, wait a minute, whatever I've done in the past, the distant past, right before there was a salary, when he ushered in the salary cap and then manipulated it quickly, but when he had that advantage, since then I haven't done anything. I must remove myself and let the football people do their job. By the way, Stephen Jones is competent. It's not that he's incompetent, but is he one of the best GMs in the league? No. And if you're the Dallas Cowboys, why don't you have one of the best GMs in the league, if not the best GM in the league? Until I see Jerry Jones having a sense of self enough to say, okay, whatever fun I've had, if I want to win the ultimate prize now, I have to take a step back. I have little reason to think anything will change. Man, I, I, I tell you what, 
he's not going to take a step back because he, he's the uh, the owner and he's a GM. Quite honestly, Jerry Jones, the GM, and Stephen Jones, they put together a heck of a football team, talented roster. But part of being that that owner and GM, you got to hire the right guy. That's what I'm waiting to see. I can't answer that question. Are they going to be you know better? Are they going to improve uh, overnight? Let me see the new hire and the people that he hires. And if you get a great staff, that'll the same importance you place on putting together a great roster is the same importance you want to put into getting a great staff. If he does that, they can win. If he doesn't, they won't win. Yeah, but coach, that's what I mean. And Stephen A, you can you know, jump in. I know, but that's what I mean. Getting a great coach requires the the the, the idea to be okay. Jerry Jones has to be okay with the fact he's going to get credit. He's going to get attention and success, you know. And and so someone like uh, um, Jimmy Johnson's not going to last that long with Jerry Jones. Even Bill Parcells, it's not going to be. It's not going to last long. So now you got to identify a coach who is going to have success, but not take the spotlight away from Jerry. And, and how do you do that? He hasn't been able to do it in almost a quarter century. Well, I think you know. But it's interesting that you, you've mentioned. Uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson, he did it with Barry Switzer. He took two college guys, right? right? And we can't say he didn't win. He did win. And so he won Super Bowls that way. That's the route I think he goes back to. I think he's going to try to get the next Jimmy Johnson out there. You know, is it Lincoln well, Riley? I don't know. We're, we're no, going to find out. No, it isn't. It's I'm not? Gonna tell you, right, well, we'll it, see. I'm going to tell you what. Uh, coach, <laughs> I know serious, where you're going. In all seriousness, Coach, I'm going to tell you why. It's not Lincoln Riley. You can't give up 49 points and a half and you deserve to be a head coach on an elevated level, which is the National Football League. Lincoln Riley is absolutely brilliant with his quarterback. That does not mean you are a leader of men on an elevated level on both sides of the ball. If you want an elite guy to work with a quarterback, hire a quarterback coach and get a leader of men to be your head coach. I'm not knocking Lincoln Riley. I know he's an exceptional college coach. But you're not. I'm not hiring you after I just saw you give a 49 points and a half. I don't know that he's I'm not, not a leader of men. They got. They got to the playoff. I think that you hire Lincoln Riley. Thanks for watching ESPN on YouTube. For more sports highlights and analysis, be sure to download the ESPN app. And for live streaming sports and pre. I will say LeBron James is the best male athlete of the decade. This is the decade where we saw him go from being the chosen one to the champion. Three-time NBA champion in this decade, 2012, 2013, and 2016. This guy was first-team All-NBA every year of the decade except last year. He went to eight straight NBA finals. And as an athlete, he broke the mold. And we're determining this by athlete. He broke the mold. Point guard, point forward, whatever you want to call it, 6'9", 250, um, what he was able to do, finish in the paint. And we've also seen in this decade him expand his game all the way back to the three-point line. A lot of people say, oh, who's the best shooter in Lakers? Well, LeBron James is. He leads, he leads the team in total three-point makes. But I also think it's because he's more than an athlete. That's his mantra, right? Um, what he's been able to do for social advocacy, you know, for social justice with his I Promise School, an opportunity for those that have less, you know, that are less fortunate. Also, he's not just a businessman. He's a businessman, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, uninterrupted, that platform, a Spring Hill Entertainment. I think when you think about athletes over the course of a decade, it's not about moving the needle. LeBron, we know this on this network. LeBron James is the needle. He set the standard. He set the rubric for athletes using their platforms for power and also positivity. So he's the guy. It's, it's hard to argue that, but I think LeBron's a low-hanging fruit. I'm coming out of left field. Okay, all right, that's what you got. <laughs> let, me, let me write this I'm down. I'm coming out of left field. <laughs> What's Actually, new here? Your ears unclogged and your pen's in your hand. Odell Beckham. 
I'm saying is the best athlete of the decade, and I'm, I'm not talking about it from a grandiose perspective of what um, he did off the field, but I'm strictly talking about athleticism. Okay. I'm strictly talking about power, speed, body control, all of these things, because LeBron, clearly, that's that's a given, but Odell has done things we ain't never seen before, Neek, like catch a ball with not five fingers, <laughs> not two hands, but three gosh darn fingers. So to me, Odell, what, he hurdling after his zone, showing that he can run track? Dude is kicking field goals before a game, like a field goal kicker, like a soccer player, which he was growing up. So when I talk about athlete today, I'm not talking large scale, grandiose. I'm simply talking about Odell has done things and he can duck, okay? Oh, okay, and he must LeBron, so that give you some credit. But Odell does oh, things that we've actually never seen. LeBron before. tips that scale, but go ahead, guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't, I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> I, I, I agree, Odell is a phenomenal athlete. So we all accept that the argument that Janae made, obviously that's it. But if you're moving it to like physical athlete, I also, like if I could pick someone's physical athleticism and body control and all that stuff to take, I'm sorry, Odell, give me the 6'8", 260 guy who can play point guard and probably would have been the best tight end or pass rusher in the NFL. But on top of that, that he's winning gold medals. So if you want to talk about all that stuff, like he's an international superstar and he's a better athlete. I'd love to see LeBron in the NFL combine. He might push <laughs> Odell in that too. He probably could run 4'5", maybe 4'4". I'm convinced. I'm convinced that that you just went back there before the show and said, you know what? This answer, everyone's going to come with the same answer. Yeah, he's I need to come, I need to come with something, just something out of left field. Oh because God. listen, I respect what Odell, the athleticism Odell Beckham brings to the table. And we also like the influence, like the hair and yeah. all those other. I mean, that's nice and everything, but as far as who had more impact just on their sport, mm-hmm. I don't even think there's any comparison. There is, but that's a different question. Who had more impact, I think we're going to get to, but that's a different question. We're strictly talking about who is the best athlete. LeBron clearly had more impact on the sport than Odell. Well, I don't know. You could take an honorable mention in the basketball uh, category for, uh, you know, impact in sport. You know, we're Nigerian. we got to stick together, so I'm not going to beat him over the (laughs) head. But if you think about honorable mentions in this category, I know LeBron James for the overall sport, but I want to give Steph Curry a little bit of love because not many athletes within the decade. Not even overall changed. sport. This is of all. Oh, oh, athlete oh. of all time. He changed how the game of basketball is being played, right? Steph Curry right now is third on the all-time list for threes. He only needs 68 to catch Reggie Miller. He needs about a season's worth to catch Ray Allen at the number one spot. Within this decade, Steph Curry has the most seasons leading the NBA in threes. Five. Half of the decade. His prolific shooting changed the game of basketball. What's the word? Analytics. Ooh. Analytics in 2010, yeah. the NBA average of making threes was 18. Now it's at 33. The Warriors and Steph Curry changed the, the way the game I was I think the played. biggest thing that Steph Curry did was now he's encouraged a lot of people, hope. a lot of hope for young people who don't have a lot of sides to say, yeah. well, I, I can play, I can play this game. Yeah, no one would see what yeah. Steph Curry is doing yeah. from the perimeter. I can be a perimeter. specialist. Y'all stop it. Wasn't there a piece in the New York Times that yeah, they're crazy. That's 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 Steph, yeah. the athlete of the decade. Like this is nonsense. Steph was really good, and he was on a very great team. He's a good situation. I might give Dan Tony more credit for changing the way basketball is played than I would get Steph Curry. But stop it. LeBron beat Steph Curry in that team, that all-time great team. LeBron 
LeBron beat them in the finals. Like, it's LeBron by a runaway, mm -hmm. by any measure that let you me, want to Let me say something. Well, I also think that when you ask, you know, if you were to poll the, the world, I mean, mm -hmm. not just here in the United States, everybody knows who LeBron True. James is. But He's a we, household name for so many reasons. If we want to go that route, and you, since y'all have kind of obscured the question, I'm going to use what you said. You obscured the question. I'm going to use what you said. Okay, can we calm down? There's a name nobody's mentioned, and it's actually Usain Bolt. Because Usain Bolt from 2011. So now we're moving on to most dominant. Well, that's, that's what it appears we've already done. Okay. Because that's what you're talking about. Usain Bolt actually from 2011 to 2016 took gold in every major world championship. And I know you might say, watch us in individual sports. So I looked at it from the 4 by one perspective. Because that's the closest thing you can get to the basketball. Four competitors working in congruence. Let me tell you also. And they won. Let me tell you also. His best friend is a track athlete. <laughs> so he had to go show her something. I mean, it's facts, though. It's facts. It don't make a world he is, he is dominant at what he does in his in his lane. I, I give you some credit for a degree of difficulty. You came out here and you're like, I'm going to try, I'm gonna try to get that. Is that not what we do? Let's see if I can, is that not what we do? Let's see if I can pull this nonsense off. Because, I mean, every four years, yes, we love who's able. He's awesome. But, like, stop it. Track and basketball, like, it's not, I don't even. But, I, like, I, to, like, to me, I just look at Someone who's just had the influence that yeah. LeBron James no had lie. over his own sport. Like, who has influenced their own sport more so than LeBron James has influenced, you know, the game? But you, the honestly, game, to Jermaine's point, if you want to talk about sports influence, it is Steph, and I think it is Odell. Thanks for watching ESPN on YouTube. For more sports highlights and analysis, be sure to download the ESPN app. And for live streaming sports and premium content, subscribe to ESPN+. Plus. The NBA wouldn't be the league it is today without David Stern. Working his way up the ranks, Stern was the organization's first general counsel and took the commissioner's post in 1984. Stern had the good fortune of inheriting Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and taking over just before the arrival of Michael Jordan. But television revenues were low and several franchises were in financial turmoil. So the new commissioner rolled up his sleeves and got to work. For the next 30 years, Stern presided over the league's skyrocketing growth. According to Forbes, the player's salary cap, which Stern helped to create, grew from $3.6 million to just under $59 million when he left office in 2014. Television revenues jumped from around $22 million to about $930 million. And franchise values from $400 million to $19 billion. A big part of Stern's strategy Marketing the league's superstars and making them global icons. Magic and Larry leading the charge in the 80s. Then Jordan in the 90s and extending well into the 2000s with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. The league took off globally under Stern's tenure, becoming the first professional sports league to play regular season games outside the U.S. and allowed its players to compete in the Olympics, beginning with the gold medal winning Dream Team in 1992. We envision all that's going on now. Europe, China, big TV contracts, free agency, guys being able to, you know, pick and control where they go. And it was a great map. It didn't come without some growing pains. Stern presided over four player lockouts and angered some players with tough disciplinary decisions and the adoption of an unpopular sideline dress code. But his ability to adapt and grow the game over a 30-year span made him a titan of the sport. 
He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2014, months after handing the reins over to his protege, Adam Silver. The reason I'm here is because of thousands of people, thousands of people over the years who have done so much. You're responsible for it, and the league is in spectacular shape going forward under the extraordinary leadership of Adam Silver. Thank you for having me. Good night. taking focus from the fighters and the fights and talking about what you have in your body whether whether it's a picogram or a pictogram why why have you tested now positive uh next question please thank you all right um <laughs> uh, dana wide uh, tell me why are we still having this guy here instead of seeing a two-year suspension like Frank Mir? Why are we still what? What's the question? Hold on. Someone hold, hold, on. hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Sit down. I'm sitting down. I want to take you. the mic from her. Better questions. Better I just, journalism. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what your question is. What, is there what, a better journalism? Better journalism. Better journalism. You suck. Better journalism. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let him talk. What, what, what's the question? What's the reason for John Jones having a picogram in his body? I don't know. We, we, yeah. That's been the topic of That's this entire. Yeah, we, you, 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 I, I told you, like I told Ariel, talk, talk to Jeff Nowitzki about that. If you want to know the science of what's going on, talk to him. All right, Alexander. What are your thoughts? Because it's been uh, the focus is on this instead of the big fight coming up. It's finally, a good question. Finally, a good question. I think it's. I think I think it's you know it's 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 bad for the sport. It's, it's bad for the organization. It, it's it's not good for anyone having this type of conversations before a fight. But what it it doesn't really matter to me. I'm you know we're here now. The fight is happening, and I'm happy for that. And and I've never been this ready ever. So let's go. Let's do it. And last question to Cyborg. Cyborg. Yes. yes. I can see you don't have that energy in your face. Are you affected about this? About what? All this mess. You don't have energy in your face? I have a lot of energy. I can fight <laughs> now. Who is this girl? Who are you? Hey, I, I have a lot of energy. Where did you I come from? That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mr. Cooper. All right, next question. Yeah. Who's got the next question? Dana. Yes. You know, they said when we start this, we can riff for a little while on this countdown we're about to do. Countdowns are stupid. You know what else is stupid? Doing an intro for a countdown while my pal is in Florida. But I guess we had to. The timing was... Uh, when they needed it now, so we're gonna do it. Matt's not here, but I'll pretend he's here. Jimmy, there's so many good moments, my little bird. Um, 
Poor Matt and his bad legger in Florida. But uh, let's be honest, we've had some really great times this year at UFC Unfiltered. So much fun that Matt and I got together. We put together a few of our favorite moments for you to enjoy. However, we didn't think to record this while we were getting together in our off time and putting together a few of our favorite moments for you to enjoy. Anyway, do we want to do this? No! Why do we do it? Because Dana's the boss. And when Dana says, I want you to do it, you do it. Because Dana will fire you. So we're doing it because we don't want to get fired and we're scared of Dana. We did have some fun moments, though. So we're going to count down the top ten moments. Jimmy! I wish I could do more than one word of Matt Serra. Because he's one of my favorite people. I, I can't do his <laughs> I mean, his head gets red. I gotta spread paint. I gotta put tomato sauce on my head so it's nice and red. <laughs> All right, uh, anyway. Here are our top 10 moments this year from UFC Unfiltered. We don't care if you agree or not. Number 10. I like this. I like it too. Yeah. People don't like it because they think it's too sweet. Well, you know what? No, it's a jacket. Absolutely, because Jimmy's wearing a gear right when, now. When. I can strike you. You're so fighting much. on the street. Guys have clothes. So yeah. it's better to fight with a gi so you can learn how to you know, choke and all that. Let me ask you with a shirt yes. like this. Yes. Now, is this something oh, that somebody who knows? Absolutely. You? Right oh, here. Bye bye. Oh, what are you going to do with me? <laughs> now, is it possible to choke somebody with oh, this well, shirt? Yeah, if I was behind you, I would. Well, okay. If I was behind you and I got my hand just in here. Oh, Jimmy! <laughs> See, I already. Oh, Jimmy, look, 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 look. Now, look, look. I don't have to do it hard. But if I just bring my weight back this way a little bit, the sh you will go to sleep, Jimmy! Yes, you will. Yes, you will go to sleep, Jimmy! It's very effective. Jimmy, it's so much fun. That's very effective. And, if, and listen, I didn't ruin the shirt. No, you did not. Um, but from the front, though, the difference is usually in the front is when you're confronting yeah. somebody. So could could you grab somebody's oh, clothes? Oh, Jimmy! That doesn't oh, seem likely. Jimmy. That doesn't seem likely. Jimmy! It's just as easy. Jimmy, Jimmy here, all I Inside. need is one grip. If I just get this here, see how it fits in the groove little right yes, there? it does. Now look. Normally, they go, oh, I gotta get a thing. No. In a street. Right up here. Like, I'm looking at you like you. Bah! And then, boom. And now it's like, I'm gonna oh, hug you this way. Oh, yeah! Give me some junk! Come on, we're dangerous! We're dangerous! <laughs> what an awful That's why I like rolling with a gig. Here's number nine. A, A, A. Right? I don't know the words, though, but. Da -da 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 what is that? I feel like when, when, when you walk, walk by in the original Rocky and him and his dumb friends are over a <laughs> <in> battle. <laughs> that's, that's Frank Stallone. Always a Frank Stallone. Oh, he's trying to teach Adrian to sing. Do 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 do. Adrian couldn't get it right. What are you doing? You said do. I was watching Embedded before. Oh, I've been watching that whole thing. Uh, he was singing Eye of the Tiger. Rather up, back on the street. Took my time, took my chances. And I'm gonna say for the record, I don't care for Stipe's singing voice. How dare you? I love Stipe. Not a good singer. I'm gonna ask you something. Sure. If you had to listen to somebody sing for like an hour straight or something, myself or Stipe, who would you be better off listening to? Think about it. Jimmy, I want you to I'll think tell you about it. I want you to think about it when you're ready. I'll take Stipe. Because he sang quickly. What if a tear started rolling down my face right now? Would you Gee, I'd be so grateful. Would you feel bad right no. now? No. What does it sound like when I start singing? Is it it's, it's, like it, yes. It's like being in a tin room and a gunshot goes off. Oh. Yeah. I love Jimmy. I don't think he'd ever hang up on me, ever. Never. But we're going to test this. Hold on. Paul Felder is fighting somebody next week. Do you know who he's fighting? Who's he fighting? 
Barbosa, Barbosa, Exim, Barbosa. Jimmy! <laughs> Are you serious? He hung up. That's. Were you expecting that? Uh, well, listen. I know my Jimmy Bird. I think he wasn't gonna hang up, but you you chimed in, and it was too much. I'll learn the names of not an amateur. Now I would. Do you like what I sing to you, Jimmy? Wait, don't answer it yet. The, the keyboard will say if you enjoy it, not not that song in particular. In general, I sing it. The Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy, you get crazy. Jimmy, do you? I won't sing anymore. I won't sing it. Well, Mershaw lifted his legs because he's not an amateur. I'm going to sing. If you don't f like it, let's talk. I'd rather be choked out. <laughs> All right, here's eight. This guy thought preparing for Ben Askren, who's arguably... Arguably. Jimmy, I'm having a hard time. Yeah, you can do it. Because he's arguably... I'm usually... <laughs> Jimmy, he's arguably... Arguably, yes. The, 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 That's why you scared it out. He's arguably. Now you're making me overthink. What's the word when you're getting too close? To Claustrophobic. Yeah. Between me, you, Robbie Fox, and our listeners, I can never say that word. Claustrophobic. Give it a shot. Claustrophobic. Can you say it again slower? Claus. Claus. Tra. Tra. Fobin. Don't f around. Oh, we're getting uh. Edmund Shabazzi and Shabazzi. 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 Call the whole thing off. You know, we had Steve O on last week. Oh, how was that? I was talking about him and Justin Bieber. Oh, wow. Bieber? Nice. Bieber. Am I saying it right? Bieber. Justin Bieber. It's funny, no? Bieber. Anyway, I'll tell you. Obviously, you got heart and balls. Gregor Gazzup. What am I, an ass? Am I an ass? Gillespie? Gillespie? Say his last name for me. Gillespie? Gillespie? What is it? Gillespie? Gillespie. I said it before. You guys realize this is why I don't work on the behind the desk at Fox or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm made for a fucking podcast. <laughs> you say aloha to say hello. What do you say? What do you say goodbye? Aloha. I think no. it's hello and goodbye. I think f off. It's oh, yeah, that and one. Off. That one. Try that. We're not going to figure it out now. <laughs> Bye. How about number seven? Doing this cauliflower ear thing with Chuck Liddell. What do you mean? I was like, man, dude, your ears are so cool. Do you think you could give me cauliflower ear? And he says, uh, man, if anybody else asked me that, I'd say that's fucked up. But for you, Steve-O, yeah, I'd do that. And so I was like, well, doesn't it take years over a whole career? And he says, no, I think if I pop you with the right shot, we'd get it in one go. We balanced a uh, golf ball on my ear. And uh, he used a, he whacked it off with a... A golf club. Aren't you afraid of, like, popping your eardrum and losing you, your hearing? I mean, I probably should be. Depending on how many times have you got logical questions like that? <laughs> I can't believe that was seven. I guess this would be six. Sorry about the cursing today, everybody. I'm going to clean that up. Starting right now. No more cursing for the the rest of the episode. I might say F. But I will not curse. F you, Jamie. Who the f*** knows what happened? Don't come in here with your f***ing beard. You're the nicest mother it's not a math test, Jamie English. Then I definitely can fail it. Oh, sh! That would be. I ran. I defended my. Sh yeah. Yeah, you f you guys to make me sound like an asshole. I said I was gonna curse anymore. I cursed a lot. Six minutes into the show, I said I wasn't gonna curse, and I might have cursed a couple more times. Just once or twice. Go for five. 
This is the last time he's in studio. And I'm going out to blaze of glory. Yet. What's happening? Like, miss. You ever have, like, an annoying friend? You're just trying to talk, and you're like, and you're from like, I must be mature about this. And then, Hold on, Matt. You're asking me if I've ever had an immature friend? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jimmy. I set myself up for that one, Jimmy. That's almost what's a shame with uh, with Luke Rockhold. People didn't, like, right. they weren't sure why he was looking to take down uh, Blahovitz. And those uh, Blah Blahova witnesses, they're tough, man. <laughs> Jimmy, I tell you, Jimmy, Jimmy, can you laugh at one of my jokes just once? It would mean a lot to me since you were a comedian. <laughs> All right, listen. Are we getting this? Yeah. Look at this. Look at how red his head is, Jimmy. I know. I love oh, it. I love it. Do you Always. think that's how? Tell another joke. Go ahead. No, blow all the witnesses. You know, I try not to eat the cheese, so you know, I just uh, man, keep it moving. So stay away from. <laughs> the guy's giving a, a, a honest, an honest answer. He talks about it. cheese and his mother laughing like a twelve-year-old. <laughs> you. Know, I'm gonna stay away from you. You're a 61-year-old. <laughs> you stay away from the cheese. I'm gonna try it tonight. <laughs> Trust me. Four. You know, I get hit in the nose quite a bit. The crazy thing is sometimes it gets moved over so much when I'm boxing that I have to stick a toothbrush or my finger up there and, and try to move it over because it's jammed up so high it makes me sneeze like uncontrollably. That might be the most amazing thing I've heard <laughs> in all the fighters I've interviewed is that you might put a toothbrush in your nose and move your septum. For my second fight in Tijuana, me and one of my training partners are like, hey, let's just go to the park and roll. And I end up hitting the sprinkler and splitting my knee all the way to the bunk. And I'm thinking, what would Rambo do? I get a butter knife and I tell my brother, hey, I'm going to stick this on the stove. I want you to cauterize it. So he's like, okay. I heat up the knife. He sticks the butter knife flat on my cut and it basically opens the cut more. <laughs> you know, it burned the hell out of me. I was like, idiot. So I took it from him and I had to do it again and actually go into the cut. Kept it wrapped up and I was able to train. I stand corrected. The, uh, the toothbrush is the second most incredible thing I've ever heard. How old are you, Matt? Are you 40? I'm 45, bro. I just I, You're 45? Ain't that oh, mess dying about? Why are you Brandon? Why are you upset? <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You ain't. I like that. That means you're surprised that I'm that old. I thought you were, I thought you were a few years younger. Yeah, I listen to me. I've always liked Ben Askren. Don't, right. don't bring up the day. I Don't you dare bring up that effing Damian Meyer fight again. No, I wasn't. I was just going to say. I'm so one, happy. I do have one thing. Yeah, I'll start. Bro, I can start. We can start. We can. Me and Aljo can start picking out fights on you. Don't you bring up that Shoney Carter fight. Listen to me. I am Shoney hungry. Carter. You know why? I'm, listen. I might have lost to George Mazdan. They remind me you lost to Shoney Carter. I, I, I did, you prick. You listen to me. I'm not going to call you a prick when you get to the car. Ben, before I let you go, I'll let you ask me. Yeah. Go ahead, ask me how it feels to be a UFC champion. All right, Ben, listen to me, we're out of here. Oh, I thought you were gonna ask me how it felt to have hair. What's made you want to fight lighter? Nothing necessarily made me want to fight lighter. I just wanted to fight. When I started fighting, I was fat. You know, you guys saw me in heavyweight. A little roly poly out there. Um, fighting at that level, I started training at that level. So just a, a complete change of lifestyle. On top of that, moving down to the MMA lab, what, two and a half years ago, really kicked the, uh, the fat burning into overdrive. When I uh, fought Dominic Reigns, I was already 205 before going down for fighting. Dominic Reigns is a big dude. Um, size is not a matter. <laughs> And that's exactly what she says. 
But um, yeah. no, to me, they always say it matters. Unfortunately, <laughs> got the thing going on with Paulo Costa. You want to take away that rumor that the bigger muscles is automatically the better fighter type of shit? A lot of these casuals, they think big muscle men win because he get power. Like, man, <laughs> that's why I called uh, Costa. But now suddenly his bicep popped or some shit. Now the next muscly guy in the division is um, Joel Romero. I wouldn't say he deserves it, but I'm a charitable guy, so I'll give him this one for free. If Yoel is not available for any reason, is Kennedy a possibility? 100%. For me, he's the dark horse of the division. He's going to be the hardest fight. Why do you see him as being the toughest? I have my reasons. I can't disclose that yet. Oh, that would give something He's away. a guy that rebranding him himself and his style, you know, dropping down how many weight classes. He's going to be a hard fight, but I want to make him look easy when, it, when the time comes. You use a term that's usually used in boxing a lot, which is that you were gonna fight Mexican style. Can you explain to some of the MMA fans who might not know that term what it means? Watch my highlight tape. Jeremy Williams and Stevens on YouTube. Watch it. This kid's a runner. You know, he doesn't fight Mexican style as compared. I'm only 25%, and I fight full 1,000% Aztec warrior Mexican style. That means I'm coming to take your head off. I'm gonna beat up your leg. I'm gonna beat up your body. I'm gonna stuff your takedowns. I'm gonna avoid your kicks, and I'm gonna throw heat until I knock you the fuck out. And if I don't knock you out, you're gonna be beaten so bad that you're gonna to wanna to quit on the stool every round that you come out. That's the Mexican style, that's the Mexican spirit, that's the fight that I bring to the table. And if you don't believe me, just watch my highlights. You ever think about after fight and get into movies or entertainment? Oh yeah, all the time. I got a, a couple of offers. I did a TV show last year with um, Black Lightning and I got a movie role with um, Terry Crews coming up. Oh sh I'm sitting here acting like I'm like a light bulb went off. Like, oh, he's playing a movie. <laughs> what am I? Yeah, yeah, no, I should be in movies. I am in movies. <laughs> MSG. This is the first time you're fighting in MSG, no? No, I fought on DC. Yeah. I'm horrible, dude. Of course you did. You interviewed me before that fight, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Come on, come on, man. We gotta, hey. You, you like me, you know. No, I know. Stop no, drawing no. swords, Derek. <laughs> you didn't agree with four, did you, Matt? All right, well, here's number three. Holy moly, Jimmy! Then there are I these. Got, I'm so excited about this. He really is. Wait, wait, hold on. Matt is so excited, he doesn't even need the product. Guys, let's talk about sex. Good sex. You remember the days when you were always ready to go? If you're Jim Norton, the answer is no. I never had days like that. Here I come, honey. Honey, here I come. He's running at me. Here I come, honey. Oh, Mrs. Sarah. Lock <laughs> the door. Dude, you better not give me these things. I got you. Be better, I better get a, a safe room in my house so I don't scold my children, Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. I cannot wait for them to go to school to attack my wife because I swear to God, the neighbors are going to call the police. Give me this sponsor blue chew under you're enthused jimmy about blue chew and you should be i've taken them they really work should you took of course i've taken them i didn't get one no no this was with a different show oh. uh i mean they understand i'm the lack of erections kid oh, so wherever i go boy. blue chew follows you know they're making sex dolls now right you know yeah, i have one but it's only a torso it's just too creepy to use <laughs> i need a whole person do you really have yeah, a torso? of course i do i have two you're halfway through it you're like what 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 happened to my life yeah this is where i, I don't have a partner now, first of all i'm married so i can't have one. <laughs> yeah. unless i want to tell my kid no that's like i practice my jujitsu on that well my buddies they actually sent me a sex doll not like the legit ones like a blow-up one fun. as a goof I, yeah. it kind of looked kind of i'm not gonna lie i thought about it for a couple of seconds but, I, but I snapped it up and, oh you killed yeah. it said yeah but my dumb ass walking outside in a box and the legs hanging and 
And of course, my neighbor saw me, and I'm like, it's not what you think. Yeah. And is it thing, cheating if I attack a sex doll? If you mistake me for one, it is. <laughs> How long have you been married? A long time? Uh, we've been married two years, but we've been together for 11 years. All right, man. I'm married 12 years, been together a long. Any advice for me? We'll get back to the fighting in a second. Should I? It's just, you know, instead of going to my in-laws after a night out of, of watching the guys do some a grappling competition, I, I, I had a couple of beers and I went home. I mean, what am I, Satan? <laughs> Derek. <laughs> so, when you hit the bottom of that, then everything changed. So, wait, so you're telling me I have to really have some relations with my wife and just let her, oh, hey, remember, you know, don't kick the golden goose. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you. It's, um, it's a rare occasion. Not too many guys can do that. So, yeah. whenever you get the opportunity to do that, you got to Hey, you're looking at, hey, control. Derek. You're looking at one of them, buddy. If you were here, if you were here I'll give you a pound like this. Yeah, Derek. And let me tell you, my wife's going to thank you after this also tonight. Oh, boy. Two. White trash from New Jersey. How do I say it? Melbourne. That's what I used to say. And then they're like, holy f Jimmy. What? What the f was you what? I ate too many pretzels. Is it bad, Jimmy? I'm not, I'm not, I really don't want to say I'll be that. honest. I can't. Harvey Keitel said, as opposed to good. <laughs> Thank God you looked up that right cheek. Wow. That was, that was, because that came out with a rocket. I stopped at the deli before and I ate a little bit of a General I, Chow's chicken. Come on, I don't want to know what's coming out yet. I regret it, you know. Oh, I apologize. Oh, look, Antonio came in here, so just walk back in. in front of his face. Thank you and my apologies. There's nothing better than somebody walks in and they appreciate the gift. It didn't get here yet. There's no, that's not a gift, Jimmy. It's, it's bad. Here's number one. <laughs> Thank you. 
speedy returner waiting at the goal line. And the Lewis, the freshman, boots it to the five. Rochette looking for a three, catches right, he's in the clear, dancing down the sidelines, and they catch it now! The Badgers answer instantly! is the back, they fake it to him, and the ball again broken up in the traffic as it picked off. He threw it right in the traffic, and Jack Sandworth is in the area. And he's got the football, the sophomore linebacker, whose late father played for Oregon, grew up a Ducks fan, makes this from 44 yards, and April has long, and he's able to just slide it through. The Badgers take the lead, converting the interception into a field goal. Early downs, could be one to take and try to hit. Coming from the pocket, lost the ball, and wide open, Jake Ferguson. Speaking of Barry Alvarez, his grandson makes a play to the 45. And, we, we, we. and Taylor, sidesteps in traffic. That's just all Jonathan Taylor spinning and twisting for a first. It is a sneak. Cone trying to get that leg drive. This is very close. Official running in again. Cone from the pocket. Flips it short. Groshek's got it, but he's going to be stopped. At the original line of scrimmage, that holding penalty would have been a big run for Taylor, really stalling the drive. And drives this kick up, and True missed it. But he made it, but he just slid wide. JT's got it again. And fight forward, lost the ball. Ducks scoop it up. Lenore comes up with the fumble. And the Ducks get a spark and a takeaway. Well, a veteran able to rip this football out, Troy Dye, who's led the Ducks in tackles. The Riddell, right into the teeth of that front. The second effort, get in there. Or again was the man trying to prevent it. Uh, he, he didn't get it. Uh, he's short. I, I, you know, Mario Cristobal has great pride, and he believes in physicality, and that time he told his offensive line. Let's bring the pressure. It's picked up. They came on the blitz and they got in the quarterback space. Yeah, they, they brought. Over looking to throw and fires high. Jawan Johnson makes the catch. Now in the 15 combined. Riddell scoops to a crease in the middle and barrels down to the five. It's been through. Keep it on first and goal. Herbert. Who scored again? Standing up. Second touchdown run for the next quarterback in there who claimed the lead. Possessions. Rick Schenk has provided Wisconsin's only touchdown with that electric return. 
unbelievable what we're seeing tonight from Herbert. The will to win. Young man who grew up in Utah. Young recovers it in a one-play, 30-yard touchdown drive with just a... And Thibodeau getting to the quarterback. Cone gets it off to Groshek. They dump it down. Big fella moves the ring pressure on this third down, but they only rush four. Cone has time in the pocket. Receiver slipped and it's incomplete. Making the cut, Davis trying to cut down. Badgers do grab the line and bail out. Herbert has time. Rolls, looks to create, and it's a drop right off the Cephas can't fight free, incomplete. Was intercepted out of bounds was Nick Pickett, but it's fourth down. Andrews don't get to Herbert. And even though there's a strike, a dart across the middle from Micah Pittman, first down inside the 45. How about the clock? and cannot stop the clock again. Herbert looking to throw for a catch made, first down, Jamar Johnson. And the man who came just short for Penn State in a Rose Bowl here a few years ago comes to Oregon and is going to help win a Rose Bowl tonight. Yeah, I, I, I keep talking about conventional wisdom. Run the ball, work the clock. And... Chris, all ballers are created equal. And so as we come to the end of a decade, I want to kind of look back over the past 10 years and talk about the best players that we've seen in the NFL. And so starting off with me at number three is Rob Gronkowski. Now, I hate that this dude, uh, his career got cut short, man, because he was like one of the most dominant players that we've seen at the tight end position. I think he really revolutionized the game, too, because I think a lot of times we always put a lot of emphasis on running backs and wide receivers as being game changers, but then he exploited the ultimate mismatch that's still getting exploited in the NFL right now, and that's tight ends on linebackers and safety. So I think Gronk will be more appreciated as, as the years go by, but he's definitely one of the most dominating players that we've seen in the league in a long time. I'm with you. Yep. And number two, I have Aaron Donald because this dude literally brought a knife fight to the trenches because he goes and he trains and he works on all these different skill sets and he's refined his game to a point to where we always looked at guys on the outside like during my career was Javon Curse and all these guys who are bringing pressure from the outside. He revolutionized the deep tackle position where he's coming and penetrating from the inside. That's the quickest path to the quarterback and he's been able to dominate ever since he got into the league Pro Bowl every year and he only gets better man and so I'm anxious to see what he does the remainder of his career because so far it's just been nothing short than special and at number one <laughs> I know people are going to hate for me to bring this up man but Antonio Brown like I understand the dude is going crazy but if you look at what this dude did for the wide receiver position since he got into the league starting off around 2010 2011 it's something special because we always felt like you need a big target out there on the perimeter to be a dominant number one wide receiver but this dude was really short but at the same time I mean he's short like Prince but he'll go out there and get 20 targets have 15 catches 130 yards two touchdowns on a regular like people knew he was going to get the ball it didn't matter he was going to ball out anyway 
situation. I don't want his career to be diminished like T.O. where you always focus on the stuff that happened outside the white lines right. to where you forget about all the greatness that they had in between the lines. Hopefully he gets himself together. But as far as what he was able to do between those white lines, especially for the last decade, Antonio Brown was one of the most dominant players that I've seen in a long time. Hey, I, I'm with you. First off, I like your list. I mean, this this is hard because yeah. I feel bad about leaving like people like Von Miller, J.J. Watt. They're not going to make my list. I don't even know how that's possible. Adrian Peterson. Come on. The first time I saw him in person, I was like, man, is he playing in fast forward and the rest of us are in like slow motion? Or what the hell's going on here? Okay, but here's my list. I'm do- I'm pulling a tank, all right? I'm putting four people on a three-spot list, okay? Because I couldn't decide. It was that hard. All right, number three B, I'm going with Antonio Brown for all the reasons you said. I mean, in the fantasy era, he was like the fantasy number one guy, yeah. right? Everybody wanted him and all the things you mentioned. Plus, he brought some attitude, everything about it, and I'm with you. I hope the off-the-field stuff doesn't kind of blur out all the great stuff he did on the field. All right, that was 3B. 3A, I'm going to go with Revis Island. Darrell Revis, in my lifetime, only Deion Sanders is a better corner that I've seen. You know, just from what I watch, and I mean, his stats aren't going to say anything, but it doesn't need to say anything because nobody, you know, you were playing, nobody threw at Revis Island. He was like, okay, he's over there playing man to man. Let's not mess with him and roll the dice. Let's just go after the other corner. I got to throw him on the and list. You know what I really appreciate about Revis, too? Not only was he a great player, but he also revolutionized how people approach their contracts, too. Because he was getting all these guaranteed contracts, taking it a year yes. at a time. And he definitely maximized his earning potential like no other player that I've seen besides Kirk Cousins now. And he followed the Revis model. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to say that, and you're exactly right. He he finally said, oh, wait, the players can play hardball, too, and mm-hmm. we can play business, too, if the owners are going to make everything about business, and you're right. That's part of it. Number two was a guy on your list because I can't disagree with what you said. Gronkowski. Gronk's one of the greatest mismatches in the history of the sport. He was vital for the second part of the, the Patriots dynasty. He helped not only Tom Brady, but Julian Edelman and Wes Welker and all those guys get open because, hey, look at the AFC Championship game a few years ago. The Jacksonville Jaguars had to put Jalen Ramsey on them to play man-to-man in certain situations. He was like having an extra offensive tackle on the field in the run game. So not only could you argue he's like the best receiving tight end ever, you could argue he's one of the best run-blocking tight ends ever too, and that's rare. And number one, this is... I mean, this is my guy. This is the best player of the decade for me, all right? And that's Aaron Rodgers. I'm going with Aaron Rodgers. I think he's the quarterback of the decade. Quickest to 300 touchdowns, quickest to 40,000 yards, best TD to interception ratio we've ever seen. He's the closest to a one-man show that we've ever seen, too. And I know people are going to go, whoa, he didn't win Super Bowls like Brady. Okay, it's a team sport. There's 53 guys on a team. we got to get over this like the quarterback gets all the credit or all the blame sometimes. Uh, to me, Aaron Rodgers is like the 2010's decade best quarterback. Get on my back no matter just about any situation. He can make it happen. Hail Marys, whatever it is. Scrambling around, throwing missiles all over the field. Uh, he was the most fun, exciting, dominant quarterback I think of the decade. Absolutely. I mean, especially since you brought up the fantasy era. I mean, I just recall Aaron Rodgers always being one of those quarterbacks where you always were told not to draft the quarterback high, but Aaron Rodgers, you're going to be like, hey, I need to make sure I get that guy on my team. And as far as like looking at him from a 
a talent perspective. Like he had arm talent like none other. He had right. he had a command of the offense similar to a Brady, a Peyton Man, and all that stuff right there. People will appreciate him at some point as being one of the best quarterbacks that ever played the game, whether he catches up with some of these other guys in the rings or not. Hi, I'm Mike Tirico, and thanks for watching. Make sure to hit subscribe for the latest news and highlights from NBC Sports. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Happy New Year 2020. Guys, we are jumping in to the very first game update of the year, and I am very, very excited for 2020. We're going to get a lot of great-looking games, at least in the current state. We don't know what the hell is actually going to be coming out, uh, but we are here, and we're basically prepping uh, for the new year. Now, this game update is almost next to, next to pointless in the ways of announcing what games I'll be covering this month because there are no new releases that I'm super guaranteed to be covering. There's no full game or brand new game that I feel like I want to cover this month. Now, the only game I might be doing this month is something that uh, is going to be a little bit different that I haven't really done for the channel, and that is The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners. And basically what that is is the latest VR game for The Walking Dead. Uh, Skybound is releasing this one. Same guys who picked up, obviously, um, you know, the, the Walking Dead's final season, uh, except obviously the VR platform. Now, I haven't really done any VR Let's Plays on the channel. I did one a few years back, but I haven't really had one. I do have an Oculus, um, however, I haven't really set it up. I thought, I'll wait until I move and then I'll kind of get into VR. That's kind of the plan. Uh, but I haven't been able to do that just yet. But with the with the announcement of Half-Life Alex sometime coming out coming out sometime this year, uh, I, I, I it made me like I think I, you know it's time you should really set this up and get this VR going. So I think I might actually do that this time and give you guys a VR title. But other than that, there's next to no releases. There's nothing. There's no DLC. Nothing. So what does that mean? Well, we're gonna go ahead and continue our uh, let's plays that we currently have on the go. The sports titles are always getting continued. You know, NBA. Uh, NBA, uh, NHLs, things like that. We're all going to keep going, obviously. I've had less and less time. Obviously, the year-end videos have been uploading uh, as we've gone through. I still got a couple of the videos to get out, but they will be out as soon as possible. Um, you'll see them shortly, and uh, you'll also see really soon the top stream moments of 2019, and as well, my personal favorite, the top 10 fan-voted moments of 2019 as well, is going to be uploading shortly. Those end-of-the-year videos are always some of my favorites. Uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, my top five best games of 20, 2019 are available right now, so you can go check it out uh, as we speak. I uploaded that the other day. So that one is ready to go. You guys can watch that. Uh, however, like I said, there's nothing really new. So basically what this video is announcing that I'm still continuing these certain series. I'm going to be picking up uh, more downtime games. I'm going to keep Black Mesa rolling, get that bad boy finished. The full game is finally done, which is awesome. So we're going to go ahead and get Black Mesa uploaded for you guys. Uh, once Black Mesa's done, I'm going to need another game to play. And I had some recommendations. I kind of want to keep them a surprise just in case. And I might do a variation on a game I've played once before. Uh, slight different challenge, slight different style. Not really, it's kind of, I don't want to really say too much, but for now, it, it's a game I haven't played in some time. So I think it might be something uh, worth checking out. And hopefully you guys will be interested in that. There's a ton of games I want to try out uh, in downtime. Uh, hell, even February, there's not a whole lot going on. So there's going to be a lot of downtime games so far. Based on the releases that we've heard of, there's not a whole lot really announced yet. Although once E3 hits, usually that's when you really know what you're dealing with for the rest of the year. Because everybody waits till E3 or Gamescom even. So uh, 
it, it's always a bit different, but hopefully uh, I will have a bunch of great Let's Plays for you guys this month. But other than that potential VR game, if that's, if that's something you want me to play, let me know if you guys want me to start doing some more VR titles. I don't think I do a bunch of indie VR games because they're really, really short. Um, if it's good enough, if it's recommended enough, maybe. Uh, but maybe I think from now on, maybe 2020 is going to be a VR year where I finally get into VR. There's been a few reasons why I haven't, uh, mainly because well, VR takes up so many different ports. That's kind of a pain, right? Uh, you need tons of USB 3.0s, and it's pretty nuts to have the whole setup going. But I'll, I'll get the tools I need. I have a good computer. I do plan, though, on getting a better PC this year. Um, this PC, I've replaced a bunch of parts in the, in the five-year span that I've had it, or going on five-year span that I've had it. However, the thing is, you can't replace, you can't just replace the CPU and the motherboard that easily. You can, obviously, but you might as well get a new PC at that point because that's like open heart surgery. So essentially you'll be needing to reinstall windows and do all that grindy stuff that no one likes doing. So I figured, you know what, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to get a dope CPU that's going to last me a long time. I'm going to get a great motherboard. I still have a great uh, a graphics card. It's 1080 Ti, so it's a couple years old now, but honestly, maybe just get one of the RTX cards as well, like something really, really beastly and just rebuild it again. It doesn't seem like I built this thing that long ago, but man, it's been f almost five years. I cannot believe it. That's an eternity in PC time. And I am noticing significant ch uh, struggles. This piece, this CPU is struggling, not because it's a bad CPU, it can handle games fine, but it's just, it's working overtime a lot. It's not even, it's not overclocked or anything, but I need more cores, man, to render out gameplay, uh, to handle multiple processes at a time. This thing's a quad core, but for the time it came out, it was a beastly quad core. That's the thing. It was a quad core that was just, but when I bought it, it was already, you know, like it was like the previous falls, you know, because I built the PC, I think in April of like 2015, and I think it came out in like September, October, or November, whatever the case was, of 2014. So you can kind of understand. I'm a bit out to date on that one, but uh, either way, I plan on building a new PC this year. I plan on, like I said, maybe getting into VR if that's something you guys want to see. And yeah, I plan on trying to do as many Let's Plays as possible, still streaming as much as I can over at fb.gg slash danq8000, so be sure to check that out. And obviously, be sure to keep an eye out on the uh, stream moments, because that's where those are all collected from. So if you guys don't watch the streams on Facebook, uh, well, you can at least get some moments to see what happens over there. And if it's something you guys like, might like and you enjoy it, maybe you'll come on over and hang out with us in a stream sometime. So other than that, guys, that is going to be it for today's game update. I hope everyone has a fantastic new year. I hope 2020 is good to you. Uh, each year seems to have ups and downs for me. I I've noticed it's kind of a mixed bag. Mostly good, though. So I got to be, I'm, I'm pretty thankful for that. You know, at least for the most part, I am, I am, I'm doing, I'm well off enough that, uh, you know, good things happen. You know, I have, I have a great family, very supportive. And, uh, you know, I get to do this, you know, hopefully for as long as possible. I love making content. I love streaming. Even though I haven't been streaming hell that long, I'm going on my uh, two year anniversary of streaming full time. So that is, and I'm loving it, man. It just, I enjoy it more and more each day. So um, I, that's why I say you guys should come over. You guys get, you can actually get notifications. You know what I mean? Like uh, it sucks on YouTube because there's a lot of problems and you know, the algorithms are still kind of trippy and hard to work out. But anyway, other than that, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. This is the game update. Guys, thank you so much for watching this video. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, be sure to hit that like button. Please, comments. Let me know what games you think I should do in downtime. I love to hear what you got on the, on the agenda for downtime games. I have one in my mind that was already suggested, like I said, that I, I think I might start with, uh, like the first new Let's Play of 2020. So uh, I, I think I'll hold on to that one first. 
but give me tons of recommendations because guys like I said in the next few months there's not a whole lot really there's what there's there is a new game in February but I don't think there's much else after that and it's that guarantee that game's not going to take us that long to beat so yeah we're gonna need a lot of games to play in our downtime so please suggest it I love hearing what you guys have to say anything you think I haven't covered or even if I have do another let's play of it, whatever let me know in the comments what you think I should get get a hold of because I love downtime because it's just awesome. I can just take my time, not stress about tons of releases, just play the game and have fun. That's what I love about this time of the year. Anyway, that's going to be it for me today, guys. Thank you again. I hope you enjoy the year. Like I said, hope, it, hope it's well for you. Be sure to go follow me on my social media. Like I said, facebook.com slash DanQ8000 for all those live streams and, of course, other content as well. Twitter, at DanQ8000, Instagram, DanQ8000, and Snapchat, DanQ8000. If you want to get a shirt or hoodie, link in the description. If you want to save 10% off a DX Racer like this one right here, link in the description. Be sure to use the promo code DanQ8000 at checkout. All right, guys, thank you so much again. Take it easy. Have a fantastic day. I'll be seeing you soon for plenty more content this year, 2020. But until then, let's hand things over to Knox Hill. Have a good one, guys. 2019 has been a year of some great movies, and we can't wait to tell you what to look forward to in the coming few years. Here are the top 10 movies releasing in 2020 and 2021. Keep an eye out for them. Some of these have major cast additions, and some of these franchises are being taken forward after the early 2000s. While a lot of their prequels disappointed fans worldwide, great things are being expected out of the upcoming big-budget projects. Time will tell how they perform at the box office. Fast and the Furious remains one of the most popular action movies of all time. While all installments in the franchise haven't had positive reviews, it nevertheless delivers on fast-paced action, seemingly impossible stunts, and brilliant camera work. The all-star cast is expected to make yet another comeback in 2020, as Fast and the Furious 9 goes through its pre-production phase currently. Audiences worldwide feel that, like some other movies, repeatedly flushing out sequels in a franchise seems like overkill, and that the team should have ended it on a certain basis. So while one can expect some intense uppercuts and car chases, one cannot deny the fact that the storyline becomes more and more vague with Time, since sequels are being repeatedly pushed out with no definite ending. A surprising fact is that John Cena is rumored to be joining the all-star cast, which is certainly an appealing factor for fans. Another surprising revelation was made by Tyrese Gibson, who released an image featuring Matt Damon. So fans are expecting some major surprises in May 2020. The highest grossing movie of all time, 2.8 billion worldwide, and a three Oscar winner. Avatar is getting a sequel. Master director James Cameron has openly stated that he wishes to shoot the movie in a higher frame rate, that is in 48 or 60 FPS. This means that the film quality would be so high a lot of theaters worldwide would require a downgraded version of the movie for it to be playable in the less advanced systems. Conversely, this movie alone could be a pioneer in the attempts to get HFR, high frame rate, into cinemas worldwide. Considering the success of its predecessor, very high things are expected out of this movie. Fans, however, doubt if Vin Diesel would be best suited for the movie as he's rumored to be a part of the cast. Initially, James Cameron had announced a sequel way back in 2014, but his plans were delayed because of the immense workload required to produce such a high-quality movie. His ideas demanded technologies that didn't exist at the time, reportedly to shoot performance capture scenes underwater, and a lot of manual labor on the VFX team's part. This highly complex idea was difficult to implement, thus giving us hopes of a sequel years after the first installment. Cameron has stated that the story will involve the same leading characters, and humans returning as the antagonists in December 2021.
The DC Extended Universe, or DCEU for short, has been long struggling to overshadow the Marvel Cinematic Universe's high-grossing and long-established franchises. Many a time, much-anticipated movies like Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice have disappointed eager fans, and directors continue to struggle in delivering the right stories in the right ways. The upcoming installment in the DCEU is to be of The Flash, which has long deserved an origin story-based movie. After the success of the series, fans now look out to a full-fledged, big-budget movie starring Ezra Miller, who will be a part of a seemingly cliché storyline, wherein the superhero travels into a timeline full of turmoil and all heroes being lost and scattered. The final responsibility will fall onto Barry Allen to make things right. The unimpressive storyline and the rumors of Ezra Miller being replaced as The Flash put DCEU's plans in jeopardy yet again. Fans are uncertain if this movie will ever see the light of day, and whether or not the storyline will surprise the critics. Needless to say, in the era of the Marvel Universe, with Avengers Endgame recently breaking the high billion mark set by Avatar in the U.S., it will certainly be a challenge to shake up the status quo and further solidify DC movies' foundations. The most recent installment into the franchise, Godzilla the King of Monsters, received mixed reviews. While fans admired the action-packed special effects, they weren't too fond of the storyline on the whole. Because of this, the upcoming Godzilla vs. Kong movie is less hyped, as the expectations have begun to drop. Some have blamed the cast, and some have blamed the scripts. But the fact remains that all of the Godzilla movies contain some brilliant special effects which have carried the movie through rough critic reviews. Fights between Kong and Godzilla are now the talk of the town, but it's hoped that the movie possesses an artful story. Godzilla has been a traditional, timeless classic in Hollywood, and one can only hope that despite more advanced graphics and effects, the immersiveness of the original story does not take a back seat in further sequels. The movie is reportedly releasing in March 2020. The world's favorite minions, Bob Stewart and Kevin, are all set to return with a bang in the latest installment of the Despicable Me spinoff. The first installment grossed over $1 billion in revenue worldwide, and the upcoming sequel is expected to surpass the previous numbers, considering how much popularity the Minions have gained over the years. With extensive merchandise available and strategic marketing, Minions have not only become a global sensation, but also a global brand. Decorated by several accolades from the British Academy Film Awards and People's Choice Awards, the first Minions movie proved to be a major hit, and fans now eagerly wait to see what notorious plans Gru has in mind in Minions The Rise of Gru. It's rumored that the story quite literally adheres to the title. The movie will showcase a young group and explain his rise as the evil genius we now know. It's set to release in July 2020. After immense public backlash over past offensive tweets, James Gunn was let go as the director of the beloved Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, leaving its continuation uncertain. Fast forward a couple of months full of public support and lobbying, Gunn was reinstated as the director, to the delight of Marvel fans worldwide. The plot of Volume 3 is yet unknown, but it is interesting to consider all the fan theories that exist. It is also uncertain whether or not the events will take place after the Infinity War Endgame saga or during it. There are, however, definite rumors that Adam Warlock would be making a debut in this installment with the cast still unknown. Warlock was a major possibility predicted by Endgame fan theorists, but this scenario has been revived yet again for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. There is no further information available regarding the movie, but it is to release in 2021. Currently filming is a movie based on the popular cartoon from all of our childhoods, Scooby-Doo. Titled Scoob, this movie is set to cast top Hollywood actors like Amanda Seyfried, Mark Wahlberg, Zac Efron, and Ken Jeong. Fans are hoping this Scooby-Doo movie will be unlike the first one, made in 2002 with a minimal rating of 5 on IMDb and 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. The sequel was released in 2004, but that too failed to impress audiences worldwide. It had a worse rating of 22% on the tomato meter and a similar IMDb rating. Similar reviews were received 
received for both these installments. Saying that the jokes weren't all that hilarious, the stunts were unimpressive, and the cast and crew did not learn any lessons from the first failure. Here's hoping that the upcoming movie Scoob will restore everyone's faith in Hollywood's way of handling our beloved cartoon. The quality of production, despite an all-star cast, could be debatable, since Scoob will be director Tony Cervone's first theatrical release. An inexperienced director could mean an unimpressive movie. Time will tell. Marvel is continuously added with several movies coming out in the upcoming years, despite the recent end to their Phase 3 saga. It's no breaks. No breaks for Marvel at the moment. Production for Morbius is set to finish as early as June 2019, and a release date is set as July 31st, 2020. After the recent Disney merger, it's expected that this MCU installment will feature a variety of characters and plots from different universes, coming under the one umbrella of Walt Disney Studios. Jared Leto will play the living vampire Morbius, and the movie is rumored to be set in a dark, mystical-like tone. It's expected to have shades of thriller, horror, and drama in it, much unlike the Marvel movies we have seen so far. MCU seems to be diversifying its projects and experimenting more with tones and genres. It seems to be adopting this from its rival, the DCEU, but its proper implementation is yet to be witnessed. While it might sound like a movie primarily revolving around the popular Barbie doll, it might surprise you to know that this movie sets out to emphasize a very important social message. Barbie was recently under major backlash for setting unrealistic beauty standards among young females, who were psychologically feeling inferior and unhappy with themselves because of not looking like the popular toys. This movie, which critics suspect is a stunt for positive publicity, sets out to tackle these very ideas of perfect beauty. A doll living in Barbie land is expelled for not being perfect enough, and she sets off on an adventure in the real world to find solace. The choice of cast, too, did not surprise a lot of people, with Margot Robbie playing Barbie. Fans say that it is perhaps the most well-thought casting that could have been done, as her natural resemblance to the traditional look of Barbie is quite uncanny. The movie is set to release in May 2020. DCEU is expected to produce a Green Lantern movie by July 2020. A surprising fact is that there are rumors that this is a very secret movie Master Director Christopher Nolan is working on. Considering his outstanding track record as director and his impeccable Dark Knight trilogy, fans can expect great things from this DC movie. The frontrunner for the role of Hal Jordan is currently Jensen Ackles, the supernatural star. It's certainly a possibility of Jensen getting involved with the DCEU, since he already has a contract with WB through Supernatural. Worst case scenario, he may not play Hal Jordan in Green Lantern Corps, but instead the reincarnation of Robin slash Red Hood, aka Jason Todd. But DCEU fans see this as a win-win scenario. Considering the failure of the previous Green Lantern and hitting the expected mark, the world eagerly waits to see how this beloved character will be revived in the cinematic world. If at all the Christopher Nolan rumor turns out to be true, there's very little doubt regarding his capability. If not, the fans will depend on Jensen Ackles' ability to portray the character with the utmost perfection and carry the series forward. If you can, the Trump administration seems to lurch from military action, as we saw over the weekend, these airstrikes on Iran-backed militias, to more diplomatic comments. The president saying last night on New Year's Eve, well, he wants peace here. Do you see a, an articulated U.S. strategy as it comes to Iraq right now, or is it reactionary to, to each crisis as it comes? Well, this is a reaction that the United States has made. I'm glad we use diplomacy. I'm glad to see the Iraqi government being able to get its security forces engaged in this point. And, but this is like, by the Iranians, this is like landing a, 
a left jab in a 12-round boxing match. I mean, this is just one more punch. So they've taken out and attacked uh, some Saudi oil facilities. They were put back in place. They've shot down. They've shot down <laughs> the. Uh, sorry about that. That's they, the best, shot that is the a, best a reaction to a ring I've seen on the air. Nicely done, General. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. They caught it too. Um, they've shot down a drone. Um, th this is a strategic problem, and the United States has to work this strategically. So um, the way to work it strategically is with allies. Now, Iran has its own issues in the world. Um, it's got its foreign uh, embassies uh, abroad. It's got citizens abroad. It's got its terrorist units abroad. Um, this is where we need our allies to help us, and we're going to have to eventually come back and talk about that Iranian nuclear agreement. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. response was um, appropriate. It was. Uh, it looks effective thus far, but but the the, the Iranians showed they could deliver the punch. They just uh, pulled back the fist here temporarily. So we have to be strategic about this, and that's the real challenge for the Trump administration. Well, it's and a good the point. States. Because in a number of these attacks, it is Iran showing what it could do in the event of a larger conflict, right? It can threaten U.S. forces. There was a U.S. contractor killed. It could surround the U.S. Embassy, threaten U.S. diplomatic staff. It could threaten Saudi oil facilities. It could shoot down a $110 million U.S. drone. It could threaten shipping there. It's, it's uh, put some bombs on tankers. It's flexing its muscles. The president has said if there would be a larger military conflict with Iran, it would be over quickly. It'd be quick and easy. Is that an unrealistically rosy uh, prediction there from the president? Well, it depends on how you define over. Uh, can you go in and, and, and bomb some stuff in, in Iran and get in and get out with your aircraft? Sure. But could you actually change the government, put a government in place that represents the various groups of the Iranian people, establish peace and stability in the region? Uh, that's an entirely different problem. Iran's a huge country. It's got a population of 80-some-odd million. Uh, you don't have enough U.S. forces, NATO forces, or forces in the, in the Western world to be able to actually occupy the country. And you can be sure that there would be a lot of resistance to any U.S. action. So you might pound them into what looks like submission in a few days, but, uh, but they've got other means to come back. So, no, I mean, this is tough talk, but... The war is not the solution. The president knows it, but we've got to have a strategy. And the problem with the strategy is that, that he's, he's, President Trump's on a dilemma because he pulled out of the Iran agreement. Yeah. Our allies want the Iran agreement back. Russia has even warned yeah. that the Iran agreement said that the Iranians want the agreement back. So if we're not going to get, if we're not going to go to war, yeah. then what's the strategy? And simply breaking the economy through sanctions is not doing enough so far to no. cause the Iranian government to say, okay, we give up on all our interests in the world. They're not going to do that. Let, let me so ask you how the American... need a strategy. You mentioned how allies view, view the deal. Of course, they want to stay in it. How should our viewers at home view it? Because three years ago, when the U.S. was in the deal, Iran's nuclear program was under severe restrictions. It could not enrich uranium above, above a very low level, far below the level needed uh, to, to construct a nuclear bomb. Now they're doing so. They've passed that limit. They've got more uranium and rich uranium on their soil. Are Americans safer today or less safe from Iran's nuclear program than they were when the U.S. was inside the nuclear deal? Well, I think it's, it's more fragile today. 
uh, Iran has the, has always had the capacity to break out in maybe a year, maybe less than a year, as they're starting up more of these centrifuges and they've taken these actions. But but on the other hand, it was never the United States that was an immediate threat from Iran's nuclear program. I guess they could have built a nuclear device, put it on a freighter, tried to get it into a U.S. harbor or something. But this was more about regional stability. It was about our allies in the region. It was about Europe. It was about worldwide U.S. interests. And unfortunately, where we are right now is we, we took a step away from that agreement, but somehow we have to either go around that step or re-enter the agreement with new incentives and new disincentives to bring Iran back to the table. Because simply a diplomatic standoff like this where you're, where you're not talking and you're trading jabs back and forth that doesn't look like that's going to bring the solution we want um, iran is going to continue, keep the pressure on and the administration probably is going to try to wait this out through the election year um, and iran's incentive then is to keep the if, if the sanctions are hurting is to get more do more right yeah. jabs and try to get the administration to make a mistake and some of those jabs uh, proved deadly. Uh, General Wesley Clark, uh, thanks very much. What up, world? What up, world? What up, world? What up, social media? What up, the whole entire world? What up, Spotify? What up, Anchor FM? Follow me on my Facebook account as Dre Wise County Road. Follow me on my Instagram account at Dre Wise underscore County Road. Also follow me on my Twitter at Dre Wise underscore County Road. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel where I put together exercise videos. Subscribe to that YouTube channel that is Reaper Wise X. Brought to you by, presented by Trey Wise Films X, of course. Now, thank you very much. But after the Anchor Episode podcast of this commentary, particular uh, commentary station called Anchor FM and Spotify, donate to Anchor FM Trey Wise Drain wise, drain wise, they hear more from me when you donate 99 cents. That's all I have. That's all I have. 99 cents to Drain Wise, Anchor FM, Podcast. Thank you.
The slave trade with the New World was started not long after the discovery of America. For more than three centuries, slave ships continued with their sinister voyages, loaded with their dreadful human cargo. Millions of people were captured in Africa and sold in America. By the end of the 18th century in Haiti alone, there was a population of more than 2,900,000 African slaves. After becoming a French possession in 1697, Haiti soon became America's biggest producer of sugar and also one of the places with the highest number of slaves in the world. Some of the old sugar plantations have been converted into museums with enormous stills for distilling the rum, presses where the juice of the sugar cane was extracted, and raised tanks where the fruits of slave labor were kept. Slave labor carried out under the constant cracking of the whip. The living conditions of the Africans confined in these yards were atrocious. After suffering the hardships of a voyage, when only 20% of the slaves died, they arrived at the auctions exhausted and ill. Families were separated and the individual members were sold to different settlers. Parents and children would never meet again. The overseers meted out severe punishments to those who did not work flat out, and the hunters of fugitive slaves subjected their prisoners to exemplary treatment, which often resulted in death. Many succumbed to the wounds caused by heavy shackles or dehydrated in the sun whilst changed to these sinister crosses. slavers would unload their ebony merchandise as they called their foul-smelling load of dying slaves that survived the voyage. Today it is one of the most beautiful colonial cities of Haiti. Its houses speak loudly of the opulent past of the French settlers who managed the sugar plantations. By the end of the 18th century, the black population had reached about 3 million and there were ever-increasing problems controlling them. The blacks that escaped, known as browns, hid in the mountains and organized themselves in very large rebel groups. The rumors about the French Revolution gave new strength to the rebels. Bookman, the leader of the browns, organized a great secret ceremony in Wakaiman. That night, on the 14th of August, 1791, a black pig was sacrificed and all those present drank its blood. The revolution of the slaves had begun. The message was very clear. Cut off heads, burn houses and destroy plantations. In a few days, more than a thousand whites were killed. The terrified white settlers started the legend that the blacks had made a pact with the devil that night in Wakaiman. Many slaves were captured and executed. 
the brown Macandal was burnt alive, so becoming a legendary martyr who is still called on in voodoo ceremonies today. Toussaint Leverture became the leader of the blacks and started a rebellion that lasted for 10 years until on the 1st of January 1804, Haiti proclaimed its independence, so becoming the first black republic in the new world. Two years later, General Henri Christophe proclaimed himself king and constructed the citadel in the north while a mulatto, Etienne, took control of the south. The construction of this enormous fortress built to defend them from the French, who never came back, took 14 years. Each stone had to be transported by hand up to a site that was 980 meters above sea level. 20,000 people died during its construction. The story goes that Christophe ordered that those who refused to work should be impaled against the enormous walls of the citadel. It could house up to 10,000 people and its geographical situation made it virtually impregnable. King Christophe built up an arsenal of more than 250,000 cannonballs for the various types of cannons that he had installed in hundreds of embrasures. The citadel the largest fortress in the Caribbean was left anchored in the mountains as a testimony to the struggle of the Haitian people for their independence. The landscape of the north contrasts with the idea that one may have of Haiti as an arid land. In this region, where King Christophe still seems to reign, the forests are luxuriant and leafy and full of life. Christophe ordered the palace of Saint-Souchy to be built near the citadel in the style of Frederick II of Prussia. In 1820, at the foot of the palace stairs near the church, the eccentric king ended his own life by shooting himself with a golden bullet fired from his silver revolver. He had repressed his subjects to such a degree that they rose up against him and forced him to commit suicide. together with the other fathers of the nation at the top of a hill near Cape Haitien. The voodoo phenomenon was born during this period of struggle in spite of the colonial authorities and repression of the church. The African guards that traveled in the slaves' minds had intermingled with the Catholic doctrine of the settlers. A new religion had been born. With the flags that represented the different tribes of their ancestors, the Lacus or voodoo monasteries are spread all over the country. They are normally located in places where the slaves that had run away from the plantations hid to pray. Voodoo is a religion that is very closely linked with nature 
and many of its deities dwell in rivers, valleys, and mountains. There are many natural settings which are real sanctuaries. A faithful retreat to these places to meditate and meet their luas, or family spirits, and the principal forces of the universe. These are spiritual observatories that enable them to communicate with the great beyond. determines and presides over Haitian society. It is always present in a world where everything that happens, be it good or bad, is attributed to the direct intervention of the spirits. Preachers from the most distant parts of the country come here to perform Guinea ceremonies and beseech the favor of Azuli, Mother Earth, the goddess of love, who is identified in syncretism with the Virgin Mary. In the shade of these sacred trees, families take turns to perform their ceremonies. They mainly offer food and rum and wait for Azuli to appear for her to take possession of someone's body. In this case, the woman with the red scarf. Azuli likes to flirt and seduces people without distinguishing between sexes. She may enter the body of a man or of a woman, but everybody will immediately recognize her because of her suggestive movements. Each preacher recognizes different beings in his possession. Its syncretic translation would be the Virgin of High Grace, the Black Virgin or the Virgin of Monte Carmelo, and sometimes Saint Philomena, identified in voodoo with a siren who comes out of the sea or out of fresh water. Other participants also go into deep trances. People help them and respect them, as in these movements their souls are outside their bodies. The luas or spirits have taken over their bodies in order to express their wishes. During these processions, there are frequent displays of the protection conferred on them by the influence of the deity that dwells inside them. Each lua has different colors, so different colored scarves are used to call them. White carlin powder is used to attract certain deities and to identify them.
Ursuli has just recognized one of her followers by the rings that adorn his hands. These are wedding rings that show that the man has married her. Each person may marry his protective lua. They gather their relations and witnesses together and go to the Onfo or Budu temple where a mystic wedding is held. From this moment on, the earthly spouse will have to abstain from sexual intercourse on certain days specified by his lua. For example, Edsuli prescribes Tuesdays and Thursdays, and on these days she may become before her servants in her dreams. Here in Limonat, Voodoo lives alongside the church. The devotees alternate their religious customs without any problems. From the olden days, when the settlers prohibited their African religious services, the slaves were forced to praise their gods whilst kneeling before a Catholic icon. In this way, syncretism arose and the majority of the Lua had their corresponding Christian deity or saint. Flags announce that this is a sacred place, a room where spirits dwell. This is Josephine's house. Her Lua friend revealed to her in a dream how she would paint her yard in order to favor an encounter with the spirits that live in these trees. Philosophy is very closely linked to nature and therefore has an ecological bent. Nobody dares to cut down trees as these are normally inhabited by spirits, and especially Loco, the protector of the woods. Lakus, small villages that have arisen around a temple, can be found throughout the country. A great sacred Mapu, as they call the Cybers, presides over the Laku of the Congo. The power of the Cybers comes from the belief that they can talk to the gods. Unfortunately, most of them were cut down by the French during their struggle against the slaves' revolt. The Lakus are self-sufficient population cells. Work is communal as the product obtained from the work. Each laku is run by a hoovan, or voodoo priest, who is called mambo, in the case of a woman, and he or she is assisted by a council of elders. Its inhabitants normally have the same African roots, Congo, Ndomi, Mandingo, Ui, etc. There is a peristyle inside the temple which is dominated by the Potomitan, the pillar by which the forces that have been invoked may descend. The altar reflects once again the syncretism of this religion, which was born in times of war, but now keeps its machetes buried as a sign of peace. Gun carries out a cleansing operation that also serves as a protection against spells, and he shows us the house of Shango, the lure of thunder and catastrophes, equivalent to Saint Barbara.
This other Lakruis Dome, its architecture takes us to another African region from which the Yoruba deities, the Orexas, departed. The Voodoo religion acts as a bonding force for the people. It joins and fits together the range of different customs of the different ethnic groups from which the slaves that populated Haiti came. It helps to prop up a society that owes its existence to this religion. Other sacred places include the lagoons where the spirits that clean, heal and bring luck to believers live. In Plan du Nord, the people submerge themselves in the mud and make their offerings of rum. Wearing the large straw hat that characterizes the Lua Asaka, Fido Pascal, a well-known journalist and veteran of the struggle for freedom of his people against the previous regime, acts as a guide for us. Thanks to him, we were able to discover the real voodoo and avoid the countless obstacles placed in our way by the mafia that limits and sells access to this religion to foreigners. A great deal of ceremonies are performed in cemeteries among the dead. The people are not afraid of these places, and it is commonplace and considered to be a great honor for someone to sleep on his father's grave. Although in some it can only be identified by the people from the village, the stop outsiders using the cemetery for their own voodoo acts. Normally, it can be recognized by its large cross and where the first burial was made. Tonight we are witnesses to an expedition made by Hungan from Artibonito, the region of Haiti with the strongest magic. At the foot of the cross, the Hungan smokes a piece of paper over some candles so that the Lua Great Way allows the passage to reach Baron Samdi. Later, Kafu, who controls the crossroads between the earthly world and the great beyond, will have to give his permission. A fire is prepared with pine sticks and pieces of paper with someone's name written on it to prevent somebody leaving another person. They also use special powders made by the Hungan. In Voodoo, these powders are very important. Each Hungan has his own mixtures, which range from healing powders to zombie powder. Rum and gas oil are used to warm the spirits, 
which normally live in water and are always cold. The heat attracts them and the Hugan is mounted by Baron Samdi, who is equivalent to Saint Expeditious, which is why the ceremony is called an expedition. Nobody can refuse to return his violent greeting that transmits energy from the other world. This ceremony is performed so that the Baron may deliver justice in a dispute and carry out the sentence on the guilty party. The red and black dolls represent the protagonists, men and women, of the lawsuit that is presented. When this powerful Ugan is possessed, he has the power to eat glass. His lure demands it of him. Baron Samdi reigns over all the G'day, the spirits of the dead. When he mounts someone, he acts like a joker and uses obscene language. This is the lure of sexuality, and he falls in love with women. His dance imitates the cradle act, and he always smokes a lot. Once his work is finished, the Baron lies back on his tomb and prepares to leave the body that he has possessed. The Hugan is shocked when the Baron leaves. He does not know how he got there. He can remember nothing. In Beret, an old lady has died and a funeral party has been announced, which will last all night. With songs, the young people try to cheer up her son, who sits at a small table looking at photos of his dead mother. The whole village attends the party. It is a social duty to attend the dead from the moment that death occurs. Back of the house, the women make coffee so that the people can make it through the night and the party may be successful. The cycle is renewed and death is the end of the journey through life. 
Now the soul of the deceased will walk towards the past to meet up with his ancestors.
The Catholic Church does not like to coexist with Voodoo, while the Voodooists, on the contrary, have no trouble of coexisting with the Church. On one side of the cathedral, people can be found praying and asking for help before a figure of Christ that occupies an important place in their beliefs. Rituals are celebrated daily in the cemeteries of Port-au-Prince. The dead must be well attended to, otherwise they will bother you instead of helping you. We attend a mass with Philo Pascal that is being held for a dead relative before Baron Samdi. He is offered food and rum which the end will be shared out among the poor people who come to the cemeteries because of this. A year and day after the death, the family members must release the soul of the deceased which has been living up to until now in the water. They must carry out a very expensive ceremony in which an ox is sacrificed. If they delayed for a long time, the deceased may rise up against them. In the traditional voodoo law, the maximum penalty is zombification and not death. The Hugans that have passed sentence will appoint an executioner who will blow the zombie powder in such a way that the criminal will inhale it without realizing it. Shortly afterwards, he will die without anyone knowing why, and he will be buried. Sometime later, he will be exhumed, an antidote will be applied, and they will steal his soul. He will obey the Hugans and will work for the rest of his life for them. In fact, they reduce him to a cataleptic state produced by tetrodotoxin, the main ingredient of the zombie powder. His brain does not receive sufficient supply of blood, which combined with the shock of being buried alive, causes irreversible damage to his mental faculties. But those who work the Deme may also use these sinister techniques for revenge. For this reason, there are some people who poison their dead before burying them because they could have been victims of a boko and be turned into zombies. The most important secret societies were born a long time ago and were the real spiritual support for the uprising of the slaves. Their ceremonies, like this one of Bosu, are more violent because they call upon the Lua Petro, originally from Haiti. senses and keep them awake all night long. From this moment on, the atmosphere gets hotter and hotter until a climax is reached where almost everyone suffers severe trances. Belua Petro have arrived.
The slave ships also arrived in Cuba, thereby creating another large African population. Slaves were called Cimarrones, and they also had to win their freedom. Their dominant beliefs were Yoruba, which, when syncretized, created what is known today as Regla de Ocha, a religion which, to a greater or lesser degree, is practiced by most of the population. All the rituals of the Regla de Ocha start with the smoking of herbs such as basil or siempre viva, everlasting flower. Apart from the purification of the participants, the spirits of plants, animals and men must always be present in the Regla de Ocha. They wear white and worship the same deities as in the Haitian Voodoo. Olga holds the chicken which they are going to sacrifice to Exu. The Babalawu that she went to see consulted the oracle to Ifa and he told her what to do. She had run the risk of being deceived by a man. The man officiating the ceremony throws the coconuts. Depending on whether they fall face up or face down, he will know if Echo, who controls creation and is very close to Olofi, the Legla Locha god, allows the sacrifice. Later, he gets the whole congregation to take part. In this way, although it is he who carries out the sacrifice, it will be everyone's responsibility. The flowing of body fluid substitutes human life. Life is given in order to preserve life and establish a unifying link with the supernatural order. these waters we can see the African gods Okun, the warrior, Sango, the Oreksha of thunder and lightning, or Saint Barbara in syncretism. The god of ancestors. Orula, intermediary of Olofi, the sun, and above this, Obataya, the lord of the mines, equivalent to Our Lady of Mercy. And lastly, St. Lazarus, the saint of epidemics and diseases. Before consulting the Far, the Oracle, around which the Regla de Ocha revolves, they call upon Orula that comes from the sun.
Here, the ceremonies are held in houses. With the lack of houses that exist in Cuba, a temple would be a luxury. They drink the Rara Ekur, a soft drink made from corn which protects them from the heat which comes down from heaven through the spirit Arura. Using a red cloth and a crate, the great spirit is trapped while the consultation is taking place. Ifa uses a very complicated prophecy technique. More than a thousand deities may appear in the form of mathematical combinations. The Babalaua must interpret them correctly and identify the final answer to the consultation, which will be the decision and order of Arula. shakes the seeds and marks one or two lines of different length depending on the number of seeds that are left in his left hand. When a ruler appears, all get down on their knees. Now the oracle can be consulted. secret society and today is undergoing initiation ceremony in the Pano de Monte Cuban black magic. The essential difference between the Regla de Ocha and El Palo is that here they work with the dead instead of with the saints. This religion is based on the Prenda Mayombe, the pots where they catch the dead in order to use them in rituals. If the offering has crosses, it is to do good. If it does not have any, it is for black magic. It will be covered with black cloths and will be called Prenda Judia, or Jewish offering. They use sticks from different woods, stones, human bones, tools, coconuts, and a dead man's skull. Once they have finished preparing the prenda, Afinto is led to the altar. 
The songs announce the action they are performing. They are clear and repetitive in order to guide the prender and so guarantee that the ceremony is successful. Jacinto is subjected to arduous tests, with his eyes blindfolded and without knowing which new trial he'll be forced to undergo, he starts to get upset. No prospective member of the society knows in advance what will happen in the initiation ceremony. They only know that it is hard and that not all of them can endure it till the end. He soon feels faint. His knees are stiff and tremble with excitement. He needs a rest. The uncertainty makes him lose control of his nerves. His fellows encourage him, but they urge him to stand firm, saying, This is a sacrifice which you must suffer for the Brenda. The officiant scratches him. With a knife, he carves into his skin the identifying marks of the seven rays, the spirits and go for the worshippers of the Regla de Ocha. The candidate is exhausted, but the worst is over. Now he only has to receive blessings. After five hours in a blindfold, I think those eyes have to get used to the light again. The efficient instructs him to stick out his tongue, pressing a lighted candle to his mouth, while repeating the principles of the religion. 
It will give him strength, light, agility, and stability. Once the initiation is over, the Prendes Mayombe must be fed, so a goat and two hens are sacrificed. Their blood will satisfy the appetite of the dead, who will help the newly initiated member to follow the way of Palomonte. Drink from the goat's head. Take it as if it were ours, and allow us to go on living. The Regla de Ocha worshippers also worship Olorum, the sea siren that lives in the depths. They make offerings of fruit and flowers and ask her to accept the actions on which they will wish to embark and to help them overcome hardships. She's a friendly goddess who is always nearby. Brazil was the other place where a large number of slaves arrived during the time of the slave trade. It is estimated that there was a population of almost 9 million black Africans at the end of the 18th century. There are two syncretic religions and cults such as Condomble, Macumba and Umbanda developed. Whites and blacks both practice these religions which have developed at the same time as members of the highest social classes became followers. Mbanda is based on the worship of the Agun, beings with great spiritual light, strength and wisdom. Their objective is to attract these beneficial spirits so as to do good. Here, drums and rhythm play a fundamental role. Each spirit has its own beat and its own cadence. Their altars are dedicated to the same deities as in Voodoo and Regaleocha, Exu, Ogun the warrior, Lemanya the siren, Obatala, the creator, Sango, and the rest of the African pantheon. The Paide Santo, the Umbanda priest, draws the symbol of Exu on the ground. This is the lord of the ways, the ancestral Pai, the intermediary between men and spirits. He's compared with Saint Peter in syncretism.
This is a joker of a spirit that drinks and smokes a lot, but who is beneficial and loves children. Here the dark world of black magic exists too. Vodum fetishes from Domi, which may exercise a sinister influence in a secret place. temples like this one in Rio de Janeiro with hundreds of thousands of worshippers. Some of them have sports fields and other activities and perform an important social function with orphanages, shelters and aid for poor districts. This is the evolution of a religion as old as man himself, which over time has been cleansed and become more sophisticated but which maintains its purest spiritual concepts. Periodically, the followers meet and perform sessions where our now familiar African deities descend to transmit their messages. The trances are not as sharp as in other religions, but they all encounter their friendly saint. Everything started one night in Africa when a black man sacrificed a hen and he offered it to the spirits that he saw in the stars, gods that traveled as slaves and helped their faithful followers to gain their freedom. Perhaps everything that we have seen is not real. Perhaps spirits do not exist and do not live so closely alongside the living. In the West, it is hard for us to believe in these religions but bearing in mind that millions of human beings can feel these forces and are able to interpret them, it is worth our while to ask ourselves the question and allow ourselves to doubt. Caribbean island of Haiti, home of voodoo. The 
the starting point for an expedition to track down. Now my thoughts on uh, voodoo. Uh, voodoo is a uh, religion. Now there there are six hundred plus religions out there in the United States of America, but the one that outnumbers all religion is Christianity. We have Muslims here. We have uh, Buddhists. We have Voodoo. Uh, we have uh, Satanic. We have all these religions out here that find something to believe in. Now, Voodoo is part of that 600 plus, uh, 600 plus uh, title of religion. Voodoo is this. I can explain Voodoo. It's much different from uh, Wicca and Wicked. And Wicked has something to do with uh, an ancient, ancient time of uh, ritual of practice of Christianity in certain parts that people did not know to the very day. That's what I'm saying. You know, you have to do the real research that anything you convert to, but the modern man today does not want to. This been raised and taught in the foundation of he or her household coming from their parents' house. So understand that modern man is not going to step outside that I call it a box. But then the box, you don't want to step outside the box. You just do and go along with the program how you've been taught. Now voodoo it is like this. I can explain voodoo. It works like this. It's a difference now. It's a difference now. Back then, voodoo was used when it came to slavery. You know, in the you know in the country of Africa and Hades and Ghana and all that stuff like that. But it went in slavery. Even though black uh, people, Afri- the Africans, before there was African Americans, it was Africans, but they not see. People today that's called Africans and um, Europeans, that's not who we are. It's just a title of a man that referred us as and changed things. So we gotta go by a different name. But um, the Africans, when the Europeans uh, uh, came to the, uh, the black, the black native land that is Africa, the Europeans um, captured my amps my ancestors capture whoever ancestor that is African American today. You know, the, the um, pilgrims use us for uh, work and servitude and are also uh, basically to build this this whole entire uh, topic. Um, so in slavery if we had black uh, Negroes we have Negroes that chooses to run off the plantation other than to uh, fight the slave master and keep our freedom intact. Because like I said before on my Facebook account, that is uh, Dre Wise Counselor, like I said many times in my life, we as a people, we did not fight this man to not go into slavery because the Native American man, the Chinese man, the Japanese man, any other man, they, they fought this man, they fought this Caucasian man, they fought this European man, so that they would not be enslaved like how we were. See, the Native American man fought him, 
and that's why they had to discuss a deal in paperwork of let's see, let's see we're tired of, we are tiring we are tired and exhausted we just make a deal to put, take your land and give you a piece of your land and put you on a title called reservation. But the thing is that when it comes to black people, black people did not fight. We just been captured and in and, and submission. So we did not fight. So that's why this whole entire thing went on throughout the years. Because us black folks, we've only been free for like 200 200 some years off the plantation so in the constitution so we're still in that, that vault that said you know black negroes are still considered as workers so within that when we was on the plantation as black folks that they're not going to teach us in school today that's why these children are basically dumb uh, and retarded and, and basically people is just stupid because you're not trying to learn anything what life is all is all about but see people the modern average person is basically just living day to day uh just living the average person just leave wake up and do the usual and not understanding that you're basically in a world that basically keeps a barrier so you will not see on the other side so what you need to see so black people choose to run so understand why he choose this president choose to free us. He did not alone free us because it was it's not right. He chose to free us because it was an irritation to to um, to the plantation owners, the slave master. It was an irritation because black folks keep running. So we have to spend money on dogs. They have to spend money on on chains and shackles. They have to spend money. So they have to. Someone will say, "Well, we might as well just." Um, let them go because they are irritation to us and plus they keep growing and multiplying so they also had let us go because one of the days if Satan kept going on to modern time now oh we gonna choose to rise up and say forget this so when black folks ran off the plantation they ran for a so-called so-called purpose to get away to freedom so that's why some of the you know black folks ran up to a high you know ran up north to be uh to the Native American uh, uh, tribes, you know, and also some African Americans, you know, you know, Negroes choose to run, and when they run, they, they, they you know, got into a certain art that the slave master, the French or whoever, said they, they sold they sold to the devil and practicing voodoo on us. So voodoo to be. It's, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing when it comes to our culture. You see, voodoo, this is how voodoo works. So how does it make this work? And it don't affect people that's, that are strong, but it affects more of the people that is weak-minded and weak. But it does not affect the ones that are strong-minded. That meaning the strong are basically the ones that's not always strong physically, but strong mentally. So if you're strong mentally, you have the, the knowledge to understand, not to tune into something that basically you entertain of vibes and energy. Also, you have voodoo of people that goes to use voodoo for thinking of more manipulate and more have more power. You know what I'm saying? But to how to defeat this, how to make this go away forever. 
because things like this. Some people practice voodoo, and some people practice being a fortune teller, also a psychic, also into other states of black magic and spells. So understand voodoo, how it works. Um, they use a doll, some of them, and a picture, or a DNA, hair, skin, semen, blood, whatever. So how this works is you, you kind of, the thought what you're trying to do, you know what I'm saying, by working on someone night and day, using pins, uh, uh, using a candle, using herbs, using dances and chanting and talking in tongues and conjuring the spirits of the aid. But, but that is how, how it works is it, it posed, voodoo was designed to be an assistance of helping people. So back in the times when black folks led the whatever French, whatever war, whatever, it was used to uh, uh, help a certain group of people like us to fight this man. See, they don't talk about that in slavery. They don't talk about that back on the plantation. They do not talk about it. They talk about it like the Bible talks about. It talks about what you need to know. Don't ask questions. Just do what I tell you. Don't ask questions. But just like the Bible, it just it basically been stuff been taken out and replaced by somebody else that coming up the real truth. So understand that voodoo it works on energy base, it works on your vibe. Because see, if you understand the spiritual world, you understand they have to ask permission to do something. Wicca is, is basically a, a, an, an insulting word they call someone a witch. But they, in proper words, they were to say, I'm a sorcerer. So understand that voodoo, it only works on, it works how this. You have to have DNA, a picture. And you got to pronounce the name, or, name, or someone pronounce the name to you, so you can direct a harm to someone. So if someone is in voodoo, and voodoo wants to afflict uh, uh, harm to someone, you're basically practicing not voodoo, you're practicing black magic. You are a negative person because voodoo is designed to help the community society of black folks. So understand voodoo is basically a religion, but it cannot be a religion when you want to cast something at someone and harm someone. So that's not voodoo. Voodoo is like I said, it's for black, uh, 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 now everybody's doing it, seems like it. Voodoo is basically, you're, you're basically chanting, you're connecting with the spiritual world, you're connecting with spirits to come in your life to possess you and whatever. See, um, also comes with you dancing, also comes with you, uh, you, you cast yourself. Or you, basically, voodoo is basically to help the world. Only thing you need how this stuff this BS to work is to have DNA, hair, uh, semen, blood, whatever. But it do not work if someone is educated enough and they have knowledge, awareness of this. So if you have the knowledge, you have the knowledge to understand something like this, you can defeat it. That's why I say a good, uh, uh, a good defense is a good offense. All they say is a, a good offense is a good defense. So if you know what to do, you keep it at bay. Period. You keep it at bay. So. Voodoo is a religion, a religion that practices a spiritual thing that is the opposite from the church. See, the church only, only discusses uh, Jesus Christ, a man, a human man, uh, you know, believing that he will one day come back. But many years has passed, he has not come back. But understand that life is nothing but it's built on learning. The human body is basically a temple that holds the real self, uh, that is yourself, uh, called a soul and a spirit. So, voodoo 
is is nothing but you know someone practicing ritual of a spiritual ritual to cover up something, connect with the ancestors, connect with whoever. But voodoo is not designed to direct attention to harm someone. If it harms someone, or you directed to harm someone, you're basically a person that is negative into black magic. So how to stop it is to, if someone that is into voodoo, how to stop that, don't entertain it. Don't entertain it. If you know where it comes from, you know who you're acknowledging where it comes from, you have to do a self-meditation to align your thought with that person and say no more. Or you can do a, a whole new spell yourself. Simple by using a jar, put things in it, right? That person later doing this, and you talk to it and say no more. Stop it at once. It return back to you, like return back to sender ten times fold to that person. It will stop if you need it. And never entertain this, because if you don't, if you if you just don't entertain it, it will go away. Also, how to prevent all this stuff is to like a sage, like sage, because sage uh, clear out all negative. See, people that's into a, a slick thing of doing fortune telling, uh, basically fortune telling, you can see and hear whoever, but how to block that is to tune that out, you know, to all of it out. It will go away eventually. It'll still be there, but it'll be basically, uh, let's see, can I pinpoint you because you're not entertaining it. <laughs> You're not entertaining it. So basically, you are basically under the radar. You are a ghost because you're not entertaining this. Understand, like I said, you have to understand your opponent. You have to understand your opponent. The best defense is a good offense. Also, the best offense is the best defense. You have to be reversed. If you know where it's coming from, you have to call it forth and say, go away. Leave me alone. Go back to you. And it will come back on you 10 times fold. So black magic is nothing but people that do a negative. Voodoo is something that the community of black folks help each other. Wicca is nothing but a pagan worship of into Christianity, of ancient Christianity, of Rome, and many, many more. And they say witches, witches was called, it's like when you call someone a witch, that's like calling another woman a bitch, it's insulting. But they refer to say, we are, I'm, I am, or we are sorcerers. So voodoo is nothing but a religion. Voodoo is nothing but a spiritual religion, religion that is opposite from the church. It connects to the spiritual world. <clears throat> Dre Wise, my name is Dre Wise, Peace and farewell, Anchor FM.